outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion and of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulzdorf the another podcast. Let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. In the last audio project, I read some wintry poems. And because of the requests for more by email, we're going to hear even more poetry today. And it isn't just wintry. Here, where I'm reading, it's blizzardy. So it's appropriate. Let's get to work. Let it snow, let it snow and snow. Since I am presently in the middle of a blizzard, I thought to start with a poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who died in 1882, an American poet, and one of the so-called transcendentalist movement in that area around Concord, Massachusetts. The poem is The Snowstorm, which is appropriate for today, and you can hear in it the wind and the snow whirling around and racing boundaries, and there's biblical imagery and um, one or two odd words you might not know. Um, Moger, which is a preposition meaning in spite of or notwithstanding. And uh, it's a word I think you should use often during the day. Moger, the fact that no one will understand you. Uh, Parian. Parian is another adjective. It refers to the island of Paros in the Aegean Sea, which produces wonderful marble. Let's hear The Snowstorm by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Announced by all the trumpets of the sky arrives the snow, and driving o'er the fields seems nowhere to alight. The whited air hides hills and woods, the river and the heaven, and veils the farmhouse at the garden's end. The steed and traveller stopped, the courier's feet delayed, all friends shut out, the housemates sit around the radiant fireplace, enclosed in a tumultuous privacy of storm. Come, see the north wind's masonry. Out of an unseen quarry, evermore furnished with tile, the fierce artificer curves his white bastions with projected roof round every windward stake or tree or door. Speeding the myriad-handed, his wild work so fanciful, so savage, not cares he for number or proportion. Mockingly on coop or colonel he hangs parry and wreaths. A swan-like form invests the hidden thorn, fills up the farmer's lane from wall to wall, maugre the farmer's size, and at the gate a tapering turret o'ertops the work. And when his hours are numbered, 
and the world is all his own, retiring as he were not, leaves when the sun appears, astonished art to mimic in slow structure, stone by stone, built in an age, the mad winds and night work, the frolic architecture of the snow. It may be that Emerson's poem was uh, some kind of response to a poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge entitled Frost at Midnight. Coleridge was a, an English romantic poet, and he died in 1834. And you have probably at least heard of his poems called The Rime of the Ancient Mariner and Kubla Khan. Those are his most famous, I think. Frost at Midnight was written in 1798, and it is one of eight poems that scholars will sometimes call the conversation poems, which are in a very elegant blank verse and shift from landscape to innerscape, as it were, from outside to, to inside. Let's hear Frost at Midnight by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The frost performs its secret ministry, unhelped by any wind. The owlet's cry came loud, and hark again, loud as before. The inmates of my cottage, all at rest, have left me to that solitude which suits abstruser musings, save that at my side my cradled infant slumbers peacefully. Tis calm indeed, so calm that it disturbs and vexes meditation with its strange and extreme silentness. Sea, hill, and wood, this populous village, sea and hill and wood, with all the numberless goings-on of life, inaudible as dreams, the thin blue flame lies on my low-burnt fire, and quivers not. Only that film which fluttered on the grate still flutters there, the sole unquiet thing. Methinks its motion in this hush of nature gives it dim sympathies with me who live, making it a companionable form, whose puny flaps and freaks the idling spirit by its own moods interprets everywhere echo or mirror seeking of itself, and makes a toy of thought. But, oh, how oft, how oft, at school with most believing mind, presageful, have I gazed upon the bars to watch that fluttering stranger, 
and as oft with unclosed lids already had I dreamt of my sweet birthplace and the old church tower, whose bells, the poor man's only music, rang from morn to evening, all the hot fair day so sweetly that they stirred and haunted me with a wild pleasure falling on mine ear, most like articulate sounds of things to come. So gazed I, till the soothing things I dreamt lulled me to sleep, and sleep prolonged my dreams. And so I brooded all the following morn, awed by the stern preceptor's face, mine eye fixed with mock study on my swimming book, save if the door half opened, and I snatched a hasty glance, and still my heart leaped up, for still I hoped to see the stranger's face, townsman or aunt or sister more beloved, my playmate when we both were clothed alike. Dear babe, that sleepest cradled by my side, whose gentle breathings heard in this deep calm fill up the interspersed vacancies and momentary pauses of the thought, my babe, so beautiful, it thrills my heart with tender gladness thus to look at thee, and think that thou shalt learn far other lore, and in far other scenes. For I was reared in the great city, pent mid cloisters dim, and saw not lovely, but the sky and stars. But thou, my babe, shalt wander like a breeze by lakes and sandy shores, beneath the crags of ancient mountain, and beneath the clouds which image in their bulk both lakes and shores and mountain crags, so shalt thou see and hear the lovely shapes and sounds intelligible of that eternal language which thy God utters, who from eternity doth teach himself in all, and all things in himself, great universal teacher, he shall mould thy spirit, and by giving make it ask. Therefore all seasons shall be sweet to thee, whether the summer clothe the general earth with greenness, or the red-breast sit and sing betwixt the tufts of snow on the bare branch of mossy apple-tree, while the nigh-thatch smokes in the sun-thaw, whether the eave-drops fall heard only in the trances of the blast, or if the secret ministry of frost shall hang them up in silent icicles, quietly shining to the quiet moon. Speaking of Frost, here is a poem by Robert Frost. 
the U.S. Poet Laureate, who died in 1963. Forty years earlier, Frost penned this little poem, which has a well-known ending. This is Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and the downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Since Horace is one of my favorite poets, perhaps we could have a taste of an ode from the first book of his odes, Ode number 11. It has a very famous line in it. A Horace, who died in 8 BC, rose from very humble origins, and through a good education and a very clever pen, became a favorite of one of the great promoters of the arts, during the time of Caesar Augustus, the great Mycenaeus. And Horace has, over the many centuries, exerted a huge influence over Western literature. Uh, Horace was uh, one of these uh, neoteric poets. Uh, he preferred writing short verses rather than long epics, and he used Greek meters, uh, but with very clever Latin. And, uh, well, let's hear uh, Horace's Ode One. 11. We'll hear it in a literal version and then also some Latin. I think we have to hear Latin. He's talking about uh, not desiring too much to know too much about the future, but rather to live in the moment, live in the present. And uh, we just can't know what the future will bring. In a, in a sense, I'm reminded of that adage that if you want to know what God, if God takes any interest in you, just make a plan and find out. Tu ne quesiris quiri nefas, quem mihi, quem tibi fina videdrit loconoe, nec Babylonios temptaris nunos, ut melius quid Quiderit pati, seu plurisieme, seu tribuit Jupiter ultima, quae nunco positis debilitat pumicibus mare tyreno. Sapias, vina liques, 
et spatio brevis ben longam reseces. Tu loquimur fugedit in vida aetas. Carpe diem, quam minimum credula postero. Don't ask. It's forbidden to know what final fate the gods have given to me and to you, the Conway, and don't consult Babylonian horoscopes. How much better it is to accept whatever shall be, whether Jupiter has given many more winters, or whether this is the last one, which now breaks the force of the Tuscan sea against the facing cliffs. Be wise. Strain the wine, and trim distant hope within short limits. While we're talking grudging time, we'll already have fled. Seize the day, trusting as little as possible in tomorrow. Here's a brief little poem by Ikkyu Sojun, who is a Japanese poet who died in 1481. His reference to priests caught my eye, and, well, you can make up your own mind about it. Uh, it reminds me of, well, you'll figure it out. I'm sorry, I can't read it in the original Japanese for you, but... Here it is in an English translation. This is called, well, it's called the same thing as how it starts. Every day, priests minutely examine the law and endlessly chant complicated sutras. Before doing that, though, they should learn how to read the love letters sent by the wind and rain, the snow and moon. I couldn't read that in Japanese, sorry about that, but in one podcast, one of the first I ever made, as a matter of fact, I read a poem in Chinese by the Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai, who died in 762. Sometimes he's called Li Po or Li Bo. And in a sense, uh, Li Bai's uh, poem continues that a sense of loneliness or isolation that Coleridge's poem has, but whereas Coleridge um, is projecting a bright future for his child and is living vicariously, shall we say, through his child, and he has at home, very much at home, uh, Li Bai is far from home, and he is not projecting uh, anything except wanting to go home, I think. Uh, both, however, are provoked by frost and by the night and the moon.
Let's hear this famous poem by Li Bai. Chuang Qian Ming Yue Guan Yi Shi Di Shang Shuan Ju Tou Wang Ming Yue Di Tou Si Gu Xiang Bright moonlight before my bed, like frost on the floor. I raise my head and watch the moon. I lower my head and think of home. Conrad Aiken, uh, Conrad Potter Aiken, an American poet, died in 1973. Uh, he was in a circle that included T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound, and you can hear something of their approach in this poem. It's a longer piece, and it is called White Nocturne. And as a nocturne, it's divided into several sections. And this is about aging and people changing and uh, how relationships change and people remember and they grieve and they remember some more. And uh, there's some snow involved, which gets it in here, into this little collection. Uh, you may have to be a little older, perhaps, to appreciate some of what Aiken is saying here. But let's hear White Nocturne by Conrad Aiken. The first soft snowflakes hovering down the night From one white cloud that hurries beneath the stars Whispering over the black and frozen pool Silently falling on withered leaves Eddying slowly among bare boughs of trees The music you are to me Is as ghostly as these Softly falling, softly passing, Wandering slowly on dreamless air. The first soft snowflakes slanting down this night Melt on the lifted palms of your hands Or in the fragrant darkness of your hair. One of them finds your lip and you quietly laugh, A laugh that means to say, this was the kiss you gave me yesterday, or the ghost of it, ah yes, the ghost of it, for the ghost of it is all we have today. The first slow snowflakes pass, leaving a sprinkled whiteness on leaves and grass. The cloud whirls ghost-like against the cold bright stars, over the long black boughs that seem to reach forlornly after it, and now it is gone, and suddenly we seem to walk in silence where before we walked in speech. 
but the silence itself is exquisite, like a pause in music, ghostly with overtones, and silent we seem to hear the echoes of words we spoke and heard last year. Clearly our footsteps sound on the moistened stones. Clearly the lamp-lit hill street gleams before us, and silently we climb, climbing our tragic destiny together, from lamp to lamp, up the bright street of time. You sit beneath the lamp and talk to me, with dark hair somehow turned to fire. Your white hands lie in your lap or touch your lips, and your talk, like music, weaving intricately, plays upon me. It is a magic of white, touching and changing all familiar things. It flows in the windy night. It quietly opens secret doors. It sings. It returns upon itself, repeats, denies, or takes sweet pleasure in silence. And all the while you sit beneath the lamp and smile, or turn away your eyes. We remember, you seem to say, choosing strange words to say it in another way. How slowly and how inevitably we change. How what was then familiar now grows strange. White valleys fall between us. Your words become a wind and heavily blow. We seem to be crying across a chasm of snow, trying to hear the half-remembered words, trying to guess what we no longer know. Yes, life changes. We are never the same. Your eyes grow dark with a tiny flame. You say the words and wait, and a sudden terror seizes me, for I fear that you have divined the things that I have forgotten, things that still shine before you white and clear. Yes, it is strange. You sigh, your talk flows on. You touch your hair with your hands and sigh. And suddenly then it seems to me that this word, this word so quietly said, was a terrible cry, and I am confused. I desire to touch your hand, but again white chasms open. The night flows chill, and something freezes within me, and I am still. The snowflakes tick the frosted window pane. The night is mad with the senseless dance of flakes. The coal fire sinks and shakes, and I wait by the window and look along the street to where in the snow beneath a lamp a man and a woman stand. He is leaning close to her face. He takes her hand. He pleads with her. She tries to turn away. What is it he leans to say? What is the savage music he plays upon her? What chords profound with memories? He takes her in his arms, and she is his. She lifts her face in the somber light, and together, slowly, 
they walk away, whirled about by the mad dance of snow. Down the white silent street from lamp to lamp they go into the immortal night. Where have they gone? Where will the white streets lead them? To what tempestuous or ignoble end? To what faint peace or dazzling pain? The snowflakes whirl and madden my brain. They whirl in patterns before my eyes, and I see them at last in a small and somber room. In the yellow lamplight I see them rise. She smiles and lifts white hands to touch her hair, and he waits wearily in the eternal chair. I would like to touch this snow with the wind of a dream, with a sudden warmth of music, and turn it all to petals of roses. Why is it that I recall your two pale hands holding a bowl of roses, wide open like lotus flowers floating in water? I would like to touch this snow with the wind of a dream, to hold the world in my hands and let it fall. We have walked among the hills immortally white, golden by noon and blue by night. I would like to touch this snow with the wind of a dream and hear you singing again by a starlight wall. You talk to me. What is it that you are saying? April. April. The soft sun falls between the deep white chasm. The gorge of the frozen river flashes with white and green. And we are walking there by the blue river, by the blue river scaled with golden fire. Our feet move pace for pace through the tall grasses, and the earth is light with desire. Youth, youth, so sing we for a space, and darkness comes over your face. A great cloud crosses the golden sky. Wind shakes the leaves. You fall in the grass and cry, crying silently, hiding your face with your hands. Youth, youth, so sing we for a space. And you are crying, I know, because this day, this youth, this beauty must go, go down into the dust. The golden river is dark with a sudden gust. The green of the willows is ruffled gray. A great cloud crosses the sky. Wind shakes the leaves. You fall in the grass and cry. Youth. April. We clamor for them to stay, and a shadow is on us. For we know that love must die. And rising then, we see white peaks in the distance white peaks, quiet, peace, 
eternity. Do you remember, you who smiled at me under this lamp, here in this world of snow, do you remember long ago what I was going to tell you? What was my dream to be? It does not matter, for all we need to say to strike our hearts to a bitter-corded music is, do you remember on a certain day? And all the years fall down from us like leaves, and all this sinister world is blown away. Take my hand and dream of youth once more. Take my arm and let us walk on the wet flagstones gleaming yellow with lamps and along the sea-furled shore or up a certain flight of marble stairs, resting our hands on the green-veined balustrade, and into a room where a low-toned waltz is played, and women rise from gilded chairs. Ah, this has been a golden day, you lean and say, a day like music of strange, rich evolutions, sweet and profound, and huddled and sweet. The wind of it blows even into this room. There is a hint of forests in this rich gloom. You smile, your eyes intensely darken at mine. I feel the music about us, heavily beat, waver and vanish and shine. One white rose with a golden heart held in the cup of your hand. Today, I muse, all things will find solution. The universe is simple to understand. Take my arm, and let us drift like leaves when the wind is driven, for the day soon ends. It is strange how such a day, with such a music, and one white rose will make friends more than friends. White hours like snow, white hours like eternal snow, long white streets jeweled with lights, our steps are muffled and silent, we scarcely know how swiftly we cross the nights. I would like to touch this snow with the fire of a dream, with the mouth of a dream, and turn it all to petals of roses. I would like to touch you, too, and change you into the chord of music I knew. Can you not change? Run back again to April? Laugh out at me from among young lilac leaves. Play with your jewels and sing. Feeling the earth beneath you float with spring. You talk in an even tone. I answer you. And all about us seems to say, 
peace, peace. The hills and streets are cold. You are growing cold. Yes, we have changed, slowly and silently changed. We are the hungry ghosts of the selves we knew. We sit on each other's tombs and stare at death. We are not lovely. We scarcely believe it true. And only then, with a pang that is almost a cry, that once, long ago, we were the I and the you who shivered in music under an April sky. White night of snow and a thousand nights like this, snow on our lips like the ghost of a kiss, and a thousand nights in a hollow second of time, we will return again silently or with trivial speech to climb from lamp to lamp up the white street of pain. Yet, is it better, you say, painfully turning your darkened eyes away, to lend our souls to a quieter music at last, remembering, when we will, the sudden and gorgeous clashings of the past? Snow falls about us, the hills immortally white, Wait far off in the undisturbing night. Finally, to take us out, um, here is a, a guest entry, which promises to have something of the poignancy and uh, the themes that Aiken explored in that last one. Uh, we'll just let the, the poet speak for himself. Do you remember, darling? It was winter in Manhattan. Falling snowflakes filled the air. The streets were covered with a film of ice. But just a little simple magic that I'd heard about somewhere changed the weather all around right before my eyes. I bought you violets for your fears and it was spring for a while. Remember? I bought you violets for your fears And there was April in that December The snow drifted down on the flowers Okay, that's just about enough of that. Um, we'll uh, wrap it up with that one, I think. Uh, how can we surpass that? Come and visit the blog, WDTPRS.com. It's Whiskey Delta Tango, PapaRomeoSierra.com. And uh, you can also find the blog just by 
Googling Father Z or looking for what does the prayer really say. And uh, until you do come over to the blog, please pray for me as I will for you. Walking with a one line Gone away